Yeah, so uh, how's things going with you, Elizabeth? Very well. Um, it's been, that's well, a month already. It seems crazy. Yeah. Uh, I finally got given my uh, plaque in the mail from the uh, my songwriting competition yesterday, which is pretty darn cool. Oh, congratulations. It's from uh, 2020 from the first single, uh, Death and Life, got entered. Oh, well done. No, it was really good. Very happy for that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's nice when you... Um... It's nice when you get recognised, isn't it? Mm. <clears throat> and uh, next award I'm aiming for is the YouTube Creator Award one day. That'll be really cool to have. And uh, so, you know, I just made another music video called Hero. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's already up on YouTube as well. And I'm um, slowly moving to web talk now with social media stuff. Uh, not much traffic's coming on the Instagram and Facebook and the Twitter. How are you finding it? Um, I think because it's overwhelming, there's just so much information um, that it's it's almost impossible to even even if you say right, I'm going to spend half an hour and really focus in on um, getting a like a marketing plan or you know a strategy mm. going. Uh, it's just it's so hard there's just so much information uh, i think the the best thing is for me it's going through um email and talking to people who know people in mm. the, kind of the old-fashioned way um, but what is interesting is there's a, a really cool thing um it's it's a group called buy me a coffee and i'm part of it and um, so far, it's been really nice because the idea is the the, the company itself um, supports the people in its kind of club, and it does it runs little promotional things. Like for instance, last week they ran a promotional thing asking anybody who wanted to do a short video about their positive experience with the co company, mm. um, and the most popular video will win a thousand euros, which is quite a lot <laughs> for anybody. And, um, but even if you just entered, they would pay you some money just, just to enter, which is the opposite to normally you have to pay to enter. Mm. Um, and so that was really nice to receive that kind of, okay, I've done my little promotion for them and they paid me and it was very direct, but it was also, they asked it to be done without any um, barriers or any parameters. You just do whatever you want. So I just did a tiny little trailer about my art. So I'm, I'm promoting myself, but I'm also promoting them. Um, got some money. And those, those little things can be little by little. They help. Um, but also I find that um, because most things are online now, performances are online, even I find it, like I'm determined to go and view something or um, participate in something. And it takes a lot of effort just to click and participate. It's, mm. it's because, yes, it's convenient. It's in your home or in your office or wherever you're in your den or at your beach or whatever. Mm. Mm. But it's the mental preparation that you still need to do to engage in something in a meaningful way. So it's still, it still means that you have to focus 
and get your words together, get your ideas organized, um, have yourself emotionally in a stable place where you can um, be and know that you, you're going to do this without interruption. Um, and then what is your level of professionalism and how much do you want to bring to it? And all these questions that you normally do when you go to a meeting, face-to-face -face meeting, or you go to an exhibition, or even when you go to a concert, let alone if you're performing in it or composing, you know, part, a composing participant of it. Um, all these things have to be done as well. On top of that, though, there is a flood of more events because it's so easy to make an event. So somebody says, I'm going to, um, you know, clean my instrument and here's an event to, if you can you can watch it <laughs> you know and then so there's there's also the pressure to for anything to become an event mm. and so that's where the saturation is starting to become almost impossible to to navigate yeah, I suppose um, uh, marketing the old-fashioned way word of mouth is going to work better in the long term because that's how I do it you know, because Facebook advertising is too expensive. You're not guaranteed yeah, a return. To meaningful responses. To no. And they can be robots even. So you know, that's, that's where you got to be careful of too. Fake accounts yeah. out there. Uh, but no, nah, other than that, you know, I don't know. Things are like Facebook's just so overwhelmed and Twitter and all that. That's but why. Then, I... having said that, um, we've got um, the group that I run, the Monday night improv sessions, mm. and we actually we just record our little sessions, and then somebody mixes them and makes them look presentable. Mm. Um, they're all up on YouTube, or a lot of them are up on YouTube. And then um, we've also got um, a because they're all there, ready to go. Um, they can be part of other programs and so it's very easy just to slip a link into a new program like for instance on the 28th of april um next week there's a program um it's based in a it's a it's a physical space echo Roima, um where they have performances but right now they're doing things online so it's kind of it's an online concert series and um so our Monday night group is involved in that and mm. um, presenting one of our pre-recorded pieces. Have it's improvised, but it's pre-recorded. It's it's kind of you know you have to get your head around the fact that these things are not not as spontaneous as you'd like them to be. I mean, ideally, we'd like the group to um, go to the, the live venue, give us fantastic performance, get some you know instant feedback. Um, and go away feeling like you know you've made some sort of difference in the world. So this way, where you've pre-recorded something that you haven't even intended for this performance, and then you and you present it online as a performance, um, I think yeah, there are a lot of interesting contradictions that that will be probably explored in the next you know, ten, five, ten years. Uh, what it means to be spontaneous. Mm. Um, they're collecting spontaneous in a sense. The the list of people that are performing um, are not organized in a, in other than the fact that they're just there so there's that spontaneity but there's yeah, there's something there's a lot of a lot of questions about this whole online performance thing <laughs> that I find um, 
needs they need to be addressed you know yeah it's uh, a forever changing world it is yeah you know, exactly. you know, today I was going to look for some rental, pro- uh, like a rental apartment, right? And this thing was just so small. It was like, I felt like I just couldn't even move in this thing. It's like, what? You're 200... in Sydney, aren't you? Yeah, in, up uh, in Campbelltown, two fi- 250 a week. And it's just like. Felt... How many meters? How many square meters? 25? <sighs> roughly don't know but it was just small it had no place to hang your washing out so how do you do all your washing in that situation yeah no it's it's um the rental in in sydney is disgusting um it's pretty good in vienna actually at the moment because um i think well we've got a situation where the place where we are it's old and it was going to be renovated and it is going to be renovated but at the moment it's not um but it's like 70 square meters um and it's um it's very it's it's very cheap right now so we're lucky but um that's also in vienna i think that the rent here is much cheaper than sydney much cheaper for what you get um, the space wise, you know, you can get something just so much better. Um, I think Sydney's one of the most expensive ones after mm. London. I think. And um, it's, yeah, it's astonishing how much money, how much of your income goes towards rental. And then trying to buy something is also a little out of the <laughs> realm as well, many times. So are you renting so, where you are? Oh, most people in Vienna rent. How come they don't own or own own the whole apartment or get a mortgage? Well, a lot of people are, find that it's um, it's a culture in Europe in general where um, a lot of people find that it's just easier and and in the end, it's actually financially a better way to approach it to take out a long term lease. So if you mm. take out a ten year lease. Um, which is possible, There's, it's unlikely that, first of all, that you're going to lose your apartment, even if you can't pay the rent. There's a rental, very high rental protection here. Um, and so even if you can't pay the rent, they won't, they're not allowed to actually kick you out. And right now they're not allowed to, no matter mm. what, because of the pandemic. The thing is, I'm noticing uh, around uh, our area, like people getting evicted all the time. And really? Yeah, like I don't know what's going on. That's not good. No, that's then what that means is it leads to because people get despondent from because you know how emotional it is to move. Just the first thing that you feel is oh no, and you get despondent, lose energy in looking for a new place. Mm. And you'll end up with um, homelessness. We're all only eight steps away from homelessness anyway. Everyone so. is, Elizabeth. Everyone is. Yeah, um, that's right. I'll speak so in it. is mm. only producing, a, exacerbating the problem. It's just not the way to go. I, don't, I mean, if somebody's ruining a place and causing danger to other people, then yes, there's, yeah. But if they're being evicted because they're not being able to pay, um, I think that's, that's a, a real problem in the system because 
there are always ways that you can control whether people who can pay and just choose not to, um, you can see the difference between somebody like that and somebody who's just trying to, you know, rot the system and somebody who actually literally can't pay because they don't have a job. Everything's documented these days, whether mm. you have a job or not, whether you pay taxes, whether you've got health insurance, whether you've got, you know, every, whether you've got an, um, you know, an internet connection. Almost everybody has a mobile connection, so, or, you know, internet, whatever. Um, so it's not impossible to see the reality of somebody's financial situation at a glimpse, you know. Well, at the end of the day, the landlord, well, can't kick you out straight away. I mean, it, it's going on. How many people out there have, are three months behind on their rent? But then that's when they evict you. But yeah, but that's, see, that's just leading towards home. It's just not the answer, I, I don't think. Um, and, I, I mean, landlords, you know, whatever they want to be called, for whatever, for good or for evil, um, they do... They, you know, some of them do rely on this as an income as well. Um, but I still think that the basic, the right to live in a place, a safe environment, um, is, it should be basic. It should be understood. Um, but then I'm all for basic income as well, universal basic income. I think everyone should be just given a salary when they turn 18 mm. or 21 or whatever, you know, whatever age people decide. But um, and and just let people live their lives. <laughs> so, I always think to myself, go back to the old-fashioned way of <laughs> uh, lighting candles and uh, having a fireplace instead of paying yeah. the electricity bill. I get cranky sometimes. Well, yeah, and then you've got um, you've got problems with living with your, by yourself or with family or with friends. Um, mm. That's another thing that. And I mean, as a musician and an artist, you need your space. So you need at least your own kind of private space. Um, it's a real problem with musicians too. We need a place that's quiet because we don't want to hear other people's noise, but we need to be able to make noise. And that is a really hard balance to do. Um, some solutions are people will go and live in a, you know, a very remote area. Um, for instance, my sister is a um, cellist, professional cellist, and she lives in Cork in Ireland, um, and she works in Ireland and Dublin and, and all around the world. She does some touring when the pandemic's not around. Um, but she lives in a very, very remote area. The mm. house next door is maybe, I don't know, 300 metres away, and then the next one is like a few kilometres away. So they are very, very remote, and they—it's um, basically a little tiny village. And, and the good thing is, they can make as much noise as they want, and they get that deep quiet. Especially, you know, when it's um, when you don't have the the daytime birds or the thing. So recording is really fantastic sort of space to do that. The downside, of course, is it's isolation, and you have to travel to get to people. Right now, it's perfect because everyone's traveling via the internet. <laughs> so, so as long as you have a connection, you're, you know, you're connected to other people. Mm. Uh, that's one solution. The other solution is to um, find yourself a tiny space, like for instance, a, the smallest rent you can, or the largest rent you can afford, which is like you know, this big, 
um, and then create another space in it that you can use as um, your practice space. So for instance, a little, you can make practice cubicles um, mm. and where you, you know, you can just go inside and you're practicing. It's not very pleasant, but at least you can do it at the times you've got the freedom of time. You can do it in nighttime or day or whatever. You won't disturb anybody and you can play quite loud. Um, you know, like a, you know, I'm talking about a, you know, a meter square kind of cubicle with sound, with padding and everything. Um, and so there, there, that's kind of a, an alternative. Or then um, if you're lucky enough to have family and relatives that you can stay in a spare room. <laughs> no, it's just, um, you know, a first ever property inspection I've done and, it looks good when it's on the website on the real estate site, but then you go there, you think this is shit. Yeah, they use that fish eye kind of camera too. <laughs> mm. Um, yeah. but your situation uh, of renting, what's it been for, like for you? Um, in 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 Australia, it has always been, um, always was difficult, and and at what point, yeah, we were decided, okay, we're just going to buy a place. So we, we bought a place in Tamworth. Mm. And um, that was really fantastic to have your own place. But it's being in a, a regional centre as opposed to a major city. Um, obviously, it was less expensive, but it also, um, it kind of was equal to or maybe less than paying the rent. Mm. Um, and it, it's, it was a really nice feeling to have space that you can call your own that you can do what you want with it um create a garden create a you know a really nice space so that's that's a really good thing if you can do it um because it's psychologically really nice especially if you have a garden or something that you can do to creatively make your space um, unique or you know personalized um but the rest of the time it's been renting and it's just yeah it's it's nasty. Um, you just got to deal with it. I find that it's from what I've done in my times of renting, because I've rented a lot of different places. Um, it's better to move if you're not happy to go through the, 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 the hideous stress of moving if you're not happy than to remain in a place until you can't stand it at all. And then you're desperate. So, um, even if you've only lived in a place for six months, um, it's better to move out if you're not happy. That would be my advice. <laughs> mm. um, even if it, and it's going to cost obviously it costs money to rent to to move every time you do it, but better I think um, because you probably have you how many times have you moved in your life? No, no, not many. Well, I've lived with my grandparents all my life. Uh, so I don't have a renter's history, you see, so it might get a bit harder for me. It'll it'll be fine if you've got a um, some sort of income thing. But the other thing is, um, I what what does work really well is if you're linking up with other friends that are in the same situation, mm. and together you rent something. That can be really if so long as you trust them. But also going through universities. Um, there are often places that um, sites that will say we need if you're going in by yourself you've got the flexibility of being able to work 
either your, get your own place or a space within a larger space. There are, play, there are people who need, um, who need a, somebody to rent a room. And if you go through the university, sometimes it's a, um, a group of new students that need an extra person or it's even um, somebody on the faculty and they need someone. So that, that's definitely a way to go. Um, I've gone through yeah, all different places, like going through hospital websites, looking for people, um, uh, religious websites, looking for people, whatever you can find. You know, you, you do whatever you can. You know um, what? I, who I think are the people most better off? Buddhist monks. Live hmm. their life in peace and quiet. Up in the Himalayas. Yeah. In the middle that's, of nowhere. That's that's the yeah that's the um, that's the dream, isn't it? I don't know whether they actually feel that when they're there. There are a lot of <laughs> a lot of wild animals, and the closer you get to nature, the more you have to deal with nature. And nature is violent, and it has destructive elements in it. <laughs> but yeah, I think definitely there's, there are alternatives. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily stick to, if I were going back to Australia, um, I would say I wouldn't go back to Sydney. I'd find a place that's outside of Sydney. Um, I mean, ideally, if it's, you know, by the beach, for me, that would be the, the, the way to go. But um, there are other places like Wollongong and Newcastle where you can spread out, you know, still be connected to Sydney. Um, or places around Canberra or Orange or, you know, places like that um, where you can still have the connection to Sydney. It just depends on what you're doing with your life, you know, like how much of your Sydney, how much of your life is um, about being in Sydney, being there. I mean, why not Melbourne? What's wrong with Melbourne? Look, I saw on a website to rent in George Street, Sydney, it's like 800 a week. It's nearly a thousand dollars a week for an apartment. Yeah, um, I heard somewhere where prices of houses are going up a thousand dollars a day. Oh God! So I don't even know. I mean, I don't. That can't be everywhere. It can't be, you know. But um, yeah, it's 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 pretty hard. Um, that's the thing in. In Australia, or in certainly in um, New South Wales, was always oh, and you know, where do you live, and how much rent do you pay, and or are you paying, or are you renting, or buying, or are you? Or well, still, you when you get a mortgage, you I mean, you don't own that thing, the freaking thing till <laughs> uh, 20, 30 years of your life <laughs> until you pay it off. It's the banks, and then you miss three months. I'll just take it. They don't care. No, this is a risk that you take with the. You know, and um, if you work a nine to five, yeah, if you work a full time job, and then what happens? Bang, tomorrow you're out. You're you got no work. You're you're screwed. Yeah, but Stephen, don't worry about that stuff. That's that's old person stuff. Don't worry. Mm. <laughs> um, I reckon the best thing to do is because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know what's going to no. happen in the next moment. Um, it's very hard not to worry and not to be anxious um, but think about how the level of anxiety of, and pressure you put yourself under as a musician mm. as a composer even I mean if you remember your first application for 
something, a proposal or a project or a submission for a competition, if you remember the angst of pressing submit or sending that envelope, it was the olden times, and <laughs> sending an envelope or even now. I've um, done the envelope too. Yeah. Oh. And that first time is so full of pressure. And if you can remember what that was like and now, you just press submit, you go, yep, another one, yep, another one, up. Oh. And then the first rejection letter is so mm. devastating. And now you're probably going, yeah, okay, there's another one, there's another one. Um, I mean, I would say that a lot of a lot of my time I dedicate to, and I, I try and put it in a certain part of the week um, where I dedicate myself to um, writing proposals, submitting mm. proposals. Um, and now when I get, I do quite a few of them, and I would say there was a point where I was, because of the ones I was choosing, they were very focused and very much part of what um, worked for me, and they were very low level budgets and things i would say i was batting about 50 percent success and i was like yes that's really cool um, but at the moment it's probably about 20 20 percent of mm. things that i apply for i'm successful and not all of those are actually um, a direct financial gain they're they're like a step towards another financial kind of thing so they're creative they're artistic they're promotional um and they don't cost me money to do except they cost my time and my creativity um but sometimes you can just yeah hit a really big beautiful kind of thing it's and a lot of the time though um these things are when you submit something cold like you just found it on the internet and you think oh this is really interesting i think i'll i'm eligible I'll, i fit the criteria my work is is possibly useful um a lot of the time you don't know really what the feel is of the the proposal or the competition, the, the atmosphere of it. Um, but very often if I've been recommended one by a friend, oh, you should apply for this, um, almost I would say like 70 or 80% of the time I'm successful. So if you've got um, people kind of looking out for you, so you tell you, and that's part of what your you know website, your promotional stuff is about. Is the word of mouth is about telling people who know you and care about you, um, either personally or professionally. They're the ones that are actually going to pre present you with opportunities. You have to grab them. You have to make the most of the opportunity. But these are that's what I'm saying. You know, it's about who you know. Um, the old idea of who you know gets you in the door. Um, I suppose that's still still the case, but right now in the pandemic times, it's not. You know. How um, is the pandemic where you are so far? What's going on with you? Right now, it's uh, we're still in lockdown. We're in lockdown until May the third. Oh, um, Jesus Christ! Lockdown. Yeah, all shops are closed except for necess necessary shops. Um, we have to get, and then they're opening up in May nineteenth, I think. Um, and in order to go to a restaurant, which will be open, you have to present a negative um, test. And everyone gets registered as they walk into the bar or the restaurant or wherever. Um, well, we have the QR codes in Sydney, but they're slowly taking them away because I'm just fed up with it. As soon as you have a phone, Elizabeth, a car license, they know who you are and where you live, you know.
but here they've um, if um, if you think the bureaucracy bureaucracy in Australia is bad, you should try it in Europe. It's Kafkaesque what you have to do. I mean, the the number of times you have to enter your information into a registration to pre-register something that you've already registered for. It's just the way the, the system works here is you're mm. constantly registering for something. Um, so, but, but once you're in, you're in. Your, your, the system is great. Um, the vaccines are slowly rolling out. Um, we're, I mean, it's a little bit slow at the moment in Austria itself. It was just because of they, the politically, there were some problems that, that made people not order the right amount of doses and that sort of thing. Um, but we have, the, in the next couple of months, we think there may be an increase in the rollout. Um, because of my work with children, um, I've been given the vaccine already. Did you get a vaccine card? Yeah. Do you have to show that when you're traveling? You will. Um, I'm not, they're trying to introduce that um, mm. as a requirement and... So far, no, people haven't. I mean, you're not supposed to travel. You can't travel. It's, you know, very expensive. It's also there are places that you can't, that just you, you can't travel. Um, if you do travel, you have to come back and quarantine for two weeks. There are still people traveling. Mm. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, in Austria, the, the cases are still high. Um, like, for instance, we have 2,000 cases a week. Oh my God! That's what's that? I mean, that Australia we hasn't ever even had two thousand cases of a month. No, India and Brazil's gone to shit. Uh, Brazil is is so tragic. Apparently, they've not only run out of what they need um, for vaccine, they haven't got the vaccine yet, um, but they've run out of of um, anesthetics. So when they have to intubate people, they can't put them under, they have to do it while they're conscious. I mean, I, I just, they have to hold people down like in the, you know, medieval times when they were, you know, just strapping people down and then they have to keep that person conscious or they'll die. And it's like, what what world do we live in where that can't be solved? Well, it's India's just, run out of oxygen as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. No, it's yeah. a very, very difficult situation, and I think the um, a lot of a lot of the um, a lot of the feeling is fatigue. We just we just like we really can't afford to be um, relaxed about it. Mm. Um, but we're all getting tired of doing everything. Has to be thinking, you know, along the path of what's safe. I just did a performance on Monday night, the first live performance. Um, in over a year now, and it was a solo one called um, "Chasing Traces," and there's a link in my um, on my website for the because the performance was recorded. But I mean, we didn't really have an audience or anything. It was just it was allowed to pre be presented as a live performance, um, which there was then recorded and then put onto um, onto the downloadable on the internet. And um, but it was so nice, even though all I had was um, the person who was organizing the performance and his wife, 
um, basically only had you know a couple of people there. Um, it was so nice to perform in front of somebody mm. <laughs> and to do it so that it was all done in one take and it was done without the interruption of oh let me just stop that or oh the battery's gone or you know just an actual performance um, and it was it was really very very um, inspiring and it made me think okay yeah I've still got to be careful but I really want to do you know another performance got another one coming up in uh, I think in July um, a trio performance so by then you know it, things may have opened up a little bit more and we can actually do that um, this is all fairly avant-garde kind of well it is avant-garde experimental kind of stuff um, but as far as formal rehearsing like we I have a um, trio that we play it's actually a quartet that we play Italian film music and it's a wonderful ensemble and we rehearse um, reg in normal times we rehearse regularly and then perform regularly um, and at the moment we haven't been able to rehearse because there's a latency problem with obviously as you would know um, with online rehearsals uh, and so we're just we're we're dying to get together and, and rehearse. And as soon as we do, we've already got people who want us to perform for them. I mean, we've got places that want to book us and they're just like restaurants or, or theatres or small communities um, or um, festivals. And it's like, yes, as soon as it's all ready, you can, you know. Um, so it's it's all just waiting to happen. So they're having a little performance on, like on I did on Monday night. It was it was like ah, maybe there's you know there's something happening. It's mm. it's cool. Um, and then the other thing is we've got um, with the uh, with a lot of people here. We have um, a lot of artists are getting support from the government. Um, there are government initiatives for artists, musicians. Um, to apply for things. But then there are also a lot of musicians, especially younger ones, who are on the brink of, well, do I do music as a career or don't I? Uh, and they've moved. They've just decided, nah, I'll get a real estate license and sell Stephen a beautiful <laughs> postcard size apartment. Yes, <laughs> and I will buy it. And I'd say I own <laughs> it and I'm going to rent it out. Exactly. Buy two. No, it's it's an important issue I bring up, uh, Elizabeth, because I, I had Dave Lewis on the podcast. You know, mm -hmm. any one of us can end up homeless tomorrow. Absolutely. doesn't matter if you're a politician. And I, what I'm seeing is, yeah, people getting evicted because around the corner they just leave their stuff out the front. Jesus. It's tragic. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really big problem. And I think in Australia, it's um, at least there is because of the the social network of free health and um, other benefits. It's it's better than it could be. Um, like for instance, in America, it's uh, there's no health insurance. Like there's no free health insurance. There is, but it's very 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 basic and very bad. Um, <clears throat> the the rights, even less rights, and um, it's a really bad situation. The homelessness in us in America, it, it's bad enough 
in a sense that people don't even talk about it. <laughs> it's like, mm. can't, can't touch it. But I think Australia is, is heading in that direction. I think it's heading into the, um, that, well, it's been heading into the direction of America's capitalistic, <clears throat> post-capitalistic kind of um, right-wing direction for, going what, how many years? <laughs> 70 <laughs> since World War II. Um, but so it's just, yeah, I see little things eroding in the Australian um, approach to helping people <clears throat> and leaving things up to private citizens, um, which causes problems because then you've got um, issues of racism and sexism and whatever, you know, um, people being favoritized, is that the word? Um, so, yes, and nepotism. Um, and Murdoch, I mean, that's a big problem right there. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So it is a problem, but um, I think the the important thing for people when they, as a, I think as a general thing is to um, somehow if they, if, if you can support people who need support to hold on to a space that they live in, um, that's really important. And if they're not happy in the space, they should be given. And somehow we have to all help people, let them, give them the opportunity or give them the, um, or open the space so that they can actually move to another place that makes them feel happier or safer, more content or more satisfied, or it's more convenient. Um, I think the, the housing crisis in Australia is, um, especially the inner, the cities, um, is absolutely crucial to solve. Um, otherwise, it's going to just be a rambling and um, a very unpleasant place to live. So yeah. it gets hotter and more extreme temperatures. And there is suburbs. I would not live in Bondi. I've never had interest living in Bondi. Um, Sydney, I would not even live in Sydney at all. No. Too much noise. But have you thought of places like Perth or Hobart or um, even Darwin? Yeah. Adelaide? Mm -hmm. um, there, um, places like Adelaide have a great arts kind of commu arts community in mm -hmm. general. And um, so that's, that's a plus. Um, and Hobart, um, I lived in, we lived in Hobart for two years because as a, um, I was a um, lecturer, clarinet lecturer there for a couple of years and the head of the woodwind brass and percussion department. And um, that is the most beautiful place to live. There are a lot there of down, downsides, but it's such a beautiful place. And it's reasonable, when we were living there, it was reasonably inexpensive um, to live, so long as you're not living right in the city. Mm. Um, it's a reasonably inexpensive place to live. Well, they've got a homeless problem too as well because um, they've got the highest unemployed in Australia. This is true. <clears throat> um, but some of, some of that is, <clears throat> is also because they're, um, well, this may not be the case, but there were a number of, people that would say in, for instance, in Tasmania, outside of Hobart, 
um, Devonport or Launceston or something, they'd say, well, my parents will pick up the pieces. So I don't really have to worry too much because the way that the the culture there is, you know, people don't move as much. It was a very much an isolated culture. The When the place was colonised, the Aboriginal population was eradicated 100%. So it's a very unusual place with a, a lot of uh, contradictory, contradicting historical um, points of reference. Um, but a lot of people there, yeah, they, the motivation to work is probably not as high as the motivation to work in a place like Melbourne or Sydney where you just have to have a job. <laughs> you just, you have to have one. Um, so I think the unemployment rate there, it's, it's bad, but it's also exacerbated by the fact that there's an attitude among some of them that like, oh, well, it'll be fine. A laissez-faire attitude about being independent. Um, so yeah, but having said that, uh, it's a fabulous place to live geographically. It's wonderful, and if you can get work there, um, you can really flourish really, really well. Um, so yeah, definitely, there's that. There's also um, the, the regional centres are fantastic. Um, places like um, Orange, I mentioned before, um, Tamworth has a, a big cultural connection to Newcastle and to um, other smaller towns still like Gunnada and um, a couple of other, you know, little areas around. I can't remember all their names. <laughs> um, there's There are places like Maitland as well. Um, some of these towns have Armadale. It's another really good one to hang out in. Um, the, the thing with... So these smaller places is you have to have um, a couple of qualities to to work there in those places. Um, one of them is discretion. You have to be know when to hold your tongue. <laughs> um, so you have to be careful. It, how much do you need to express yourself publicly, um, and how much do you put into your art and, and that sort of thing? It doesn't really matter what you do creatively. Mm. You can be as outrageous and, um, you know, forceful and, and, you know, avant-garde as you want, um, but it's how you present yourself to the local newspaper or to when you're, you know, being interviewed on the local ABC, if they still have those regional ABC radio stations. Um, it, it's sort of like you have to be, uh, you have to present yourself in... Um, a dialed-down kind of version if you're doing really crazy, um, wonderful shit. But um, having said that, uh, living in Tamworth, for we lived there for 11 or 12 years, and um, because there, when we went there were there was no no jazz program within the schools or within the the conservatorium there. There was no um, avant-garde classic contemporary movement or anything. Um, we created both and um, to the point where we had, um, we were able to develop a residency at a local bar that every Sunday night we had organized jazz to be playing. Um, and that went on for quite a few years. 
Um, we also formed a new music ensemble and we were able to do um, have um, uh, John, um, my husband, as a composer, but also in introduce other composers. We had recordings. Um, we were able to tour up and down in the in the region, not necessarily to Sydney because Sydney's saturated with contemporary music, but uh, but there were actual um, points where we did a little bit of a swap over between, or, you know, a group. We didn't exchange with groups. Um, all this was going on amongst the most conservative people you could possibly meet. And because there was um, nothing to stop us, um, it was fantastic. We flourished. It really was wonderful. But as soon as you want to get kind of in the public eye, and they start to look at, oh, well, that's a little bit too much for us. Um, we even had, at one point, we were part of a movement to change the, you know, they've got the annual um, country music festival. And we were part of the movement to change it to the Tamworth Music Festival mm. instead of country music. And we started introducing jazz and um, nothing further than jazz, you know, nothing avant-garde, but at that point there was possibility of there was jazz there was a little bit of art maybe bringing into the um, whole thing um, and people were starting to get really excited about this because they thought well I don't like country music so I have to leave every time it's on it's nothing else that you know I can't stand it um, if it were a music festival I would be involved because it would have a, you know more variety uh, and that got stamped down once the movement became um, too alive, too exciting, too outwardly expressive, um, the council basically said, nope, it's only country music, and they closed down the opportunities. So there, there, this is what country towns, country regional centres are able to do, that they've got this control over uh, what gets done. But while you're there, you can really explore your own ideas until they become, you know, public, locally public. But internationally, it's, you know, you can do whatever you want because, again, we've got the internet to help and um, you can always fly to Zagreb or, um, you know, or to Tokyo or something. It, it's no different from Tamworth as it is from Sydney to get anywhere. Mm. Um, so it's perfectly legitimate place, place to live in those regional centres. As long as they have an airport, um, then, yeah, you're fine. You know, but other than get, that, um, Anzac Day is tomorrow as well. Yes, no, we in Vienna we have the most beautiful ceremony. Um, in our it's in the um Karlsplatz and it's uh, it's in front of the Karlsplatz Kirche, which is a really beautiful church. And um, we have this very, very lovely ceremony we have usually about 300 Australians are there and so in the middle of Vienna in the middle of the year kind of thing you get this suddenly rah, 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 Australian accents and um, it's a just a really moving and beautiful ceremony they, they just do it really nicely and it's really it's wonderful to connect to these people I, I've never really been into connecting with you know ceremony or something but the way they do it is just wonderful and then we all go back to the, which is just around the corner, we go back to the Australian Embassy and have a fabulous Australian breakfast complete with Bundaberg rum 
<laughs> and this is all happening at like seven in the morning before oh, work. Oh, jeez. Like it's, um, it's, it's the do- the dawn service in in Western Australia is cancelled this year. Yeah. Yes. He's, it's the same here. It's all cancelled. Yeah. I mean, in Sydney, I know. I think it's going ahead, but it's it, uh, just. The, yeah, probably restricted, but I would imagine it's still going to go ahead. The last dawn service I went to was just miserable. Hmm. Was that well? That would have been the during lockdown. Nah, this was like four years ago, five oh, roughly okay. four okay. years ago. Yeah. Just yeah, hmm. just sad. Do you have um, do you have connections? Does anybody in your family has um, been in the military or was in the military? Um, like grandparents or something like that. Yeah, granddad did, but in Hungary, not not Australia. But um, just go on to that uh, dawn service. It's just miserable. It's mm. just depressing. I can't do well, it. This is. I think there are um, there are ways to present services to mem- commemorate, and there are ways to not do it. Mm. And I think the important thing. Um, I know what they try to do here is to connect um, the fact that we are still alive because there were some things that happened historically. Um, so there's there's connection that way. Uh, the other thing is to look at it from the point of view of we're not actually just we're not just you know, commemorating these dead people in this tragic incident. We're actually reminding ourselves that we have to do this ceremony and this we have to commemorate and we, we have to keep remembering so that we don't keep going on with these um, this war and this de- decision to, to make um, turmoil in the world so that we don't have to keep doing these services. And so I think it's really important that the, uh, all, the, uh, the idea of a commemoration is to remember the history so that you don't forget when you go, when one or you know somebody in power goes to make a decision, do we, do we go to war or not? Um, so, if anything, there's that. <laughs> Other than that, yes, it's a it's a pretty. I mean, basically, you are in a service like that. You're on you know on the other end of the scale. You're sanitizing and um, making something sort of um, abstract with what was pain, misery, death, illness, um, rape, pillage, murder, um, power-mongering, greed, jealousy, all the attributes that humans have that are negative, that's what happens in war. And we're kind of saying... And let's remember everyone in a kind of a this, this sort of abstract way. Um, it doesn't doesn't show, you know. It, it doesn't um, reveal what it actually is that we're commemorating. Look, so you um, might be finding some depression in that. <laughs> there was a uh, there's a book you need to read called The Fortunate Life by A. B. Facey or listen to mm-hmm. it. Have you have you come across that? No, I haven't. Is this an Australian? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's on Audible, but um, you know, living through the Great Depression, going to World War One, coming back, not having a job, 
a lot of veterans came back. It's what was got, it called again? Uh, Fortunate Life. It's Australian. It's I've got to listen to it again because it's wow. Yeah. Okay. I'll have a listen. Um, it's having um, being in Vienna. Mm. Um, we are also you get face to face with the war still, like the World War II. Um, there's there's still elements of it. For instance, um, we have things here on the on the street which are little plaques, commemorative plaques for all the Jews that were um, killed in the Holocaust. And uh, you can be walking along the street and there it is, there's a, there's a plaque. And you look down and you read and it's like this plaque commemorates a particular person and where they, where they ended up, like in Auschwitz or Dachau or wherever they ended up um, in um, dying. But sometimes you can look down at a plaque and it says, um, in this house, in front of where you're standing, um, there were 200 people were here. And this, and then they, they went to, they were then transported to the concentration camp. So you can be looking down and you just suddenly you see 200 people are dead. And it's just, it, it hits you, you know, always just in the middle of the street or in the middle of the, you know, when you're walking down. Um, there's so much um, commemorative um, experience here. You can also ignore it, and that's why they're on the floor. People can walk past them. And we've seen things like you see somebody has ashed on one of them or something because we have, unfortunately, right now, there's a, um, a very much a neo-Nazi kind of movement that's taking, it's, it's getting purchase, and um, the government's trying everything it can to, it's like playing that, What's that game where you... you Political the, football. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of tension in the air. Um, but here, the, yeah, almost everywhere you can see some remnant of World War II. And, uh, and in, in almost any European city, you can see that. So it's... I think um, it's really, and that's just World War Two. I mean, that's not even, you know, the, the immigration cause, um, the, the immigration from recent um, conflict in the Middle East or from, you know, from other places of the world. Uh, there's a, it's a big melting, in a way, melting pot or salad of, of things that are happening in Europe and people migrating here. Um, so yeah, it's it's everywhere. But um, I think Australia has. Uh, well, the first thing I think is Australia needs to. Here we go. <laughs> uh, put more emphasis on the creative mind, and less on the capital and financial mind. Um, and I think that if if it were to be a more of a creative nation. Um, and emphasize what it means to think up ideas, follow through with plans that are thought of from a creative perspective and not from a financial perspective, um, then more people would benefit. That's just my take on it. Um, I was just recently looking at a, um, a documentary on Ljubljana in Slovenia, mm. and um, their idea is recycle in-house um, 
everyone has an education and everyone can go to university for free. Everyone has free medical mm-hmm. and, and everyone has um, a right basically to be creative. Uh, they have three uh, professional orchestras and they have, and they're very proud of their orchestra, the, the um, Ljubljanans. Uh, and the population is around 250,000. I mean, how is that possible? How I don't know. These people can uh, support the arts the way they do mm. and support the architecture, which is a lot of it has to be maintained because it's old, um, support the artists there. Um, how is it possible? It's possible because they've put an emphasis on creativity and creative thought and having value as creative thought having value as opposed to um, money and um, services, you know, the service industry. So yeah, so it's it is it's possible. I'm not saying Ljubljana is a, um, a utopian environment by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of people who can't wait to get out um, for many reasons, but. I think that uh, the, it's, a, it's a direction that I think is very, very useful and or fruitful to think creatively. So what can we do about it? I think what we can do is every time we have an opportunity, we have a, a fork in the road, we have a decision to make, um, we can at least, if nothing else, we can first make, um, consider all the creative aspects of that decision. So for instance, moving house, the first part of the consideration is, is this space going to be satisfactory for me to be creative? Um, are the people around going to support the creativity in the sense that they're not going to knock on the door all the time and say, shut up, stop playing your clarinet. Hmm. <laughs> Enough of the high notes. <laughs> um, and then, then we'll look at the other considerations, but start with the creative ones and... Um, even if the creative ones have to be pushed aside in the end because you've got convenience issues, you have to be you have to have your your space in a certain way, um, and you can only afford a certain thing. Um, at least having considered them keeps you keeps for you your self worth at a level that's meaningful to you. And so I think that that's the thing that um, the artists and musicians, poets, writers. We have to keep knowing in ourselves the value of ourselves mm. and rather than the value of what people think we are. Um, as John says, money is the um, money just gives you the indication of what you, um, what is it? I have to get it right, but money indicates, the money indicates how valueless you are so um that's why we say priceless artwork you know well my plaque is priceless <laughs> mm, exactly exactly you might be able to nft it or you might be able to auction it off for a charity or in the future or something but right now it is worth more than anything in the world you know um and but yeah, the, the concept of what we do and our worth 
um, is it, it is limited when we have to get paid for it. At mm. the other, on the other end, at the other end, and I think it's perfectly fine to live with these two contradictions, as Dorothy Parker says. Um, money, um, things, art that's paid for, um, indicates that it's other than something that's just frivolous. So we actually are taken seriously. If somebody is paid a serious amount of money um, to do something creative, we go, well, that must be really substantial. Whether I like it or not, it's considered something substantial. So, yes, so it's uh, money is the, the, the value of our worthlessness. <laughs> mm. I think that's how John says it. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't, if he hasn't said it like that, I'll, I'll get you the link. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, uh, Stephen, I have to go now. Yeah, thanks for coming on today, Elizabeth. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I've got um, new things on my website as well. So if anyone wants to catch anything that's on my website, events and new articles and new new collections of works. Awesome. See that?